Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I've known Emily Seabon personally for a few years now, but I've known of her, well, feels like forever. Em has been a star of the Australian swim team ever since she was a teenager. She made her first Australian age team at 11 years old, made the Open team at 14, was at her first Olympics at 16. She won a gold medal there too. Over three Olympics, Em has won two gold medals and three silver. She's broken world records, Olympic records, and has become one of the most recognisable faces in Australian swimming and sport. But those highs of Olympic glory are mixed with deep lows and personal pain. I'll never forget when she broke down in tears over a silver medal. Em's also fought a silent battle with endometriosis for much of her decorated career, and more recently, she opened up for the first time about the eating disorder she's been dealing with as well. If our conversation about eating disorders triggers something for you, or if you're struggling, you can contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1-800-334673. For Em, well, she continues to show incredible strength and resilience, overcoming so much out of the pool, all while still achieving so much in it too. But when she was little, well, the pool was the last place Emily wanted to be. Little MC Bomb hated swimming. Wow. Absolutely hated it with a passion. <laughs> um, I was a crier. I was a screamer. <laughs> and it's not because Nothing's I changed couldn't him. do it. It was just that, yeah. <laughs> it was just the fact that I just like hated doing lessons. I loved just playing around and mucking around and yeah, just didn't enjoy lessons at all. So I would cry and scream and my mum would just be like to the teacher next to her, just don't listen to her. She's fine. She can do everything. <laughs> and then I think like when I was in squad, um, I was training with my brother and we would just duck dive underwater and like kick each other under the <laughs> under the bottom and then come back up. We were always in trouble. So I feel like I was a super big troublemaker back in the day. What like squad? When does squad start for you then? Basically, mum teaches learn to swim. So that's how ah, I got into okay. swimming. Mm -hmm. And then when she was doing lessons, there was no one at home to look after us. So, you know, we all went to training while she was doing lessons. We were doing lessons. And yeah, <laughs> it was like, it was a lot, but it was so much fun. And um, yeah, I just remember having so much fun with my brothers and just like, you know, mucking around and getting in trouble and getting sent out. And then I'd be like, to mom, I got kicked out again. <laughs> She'd be like, go sit on the side and wait for me to finish. So she was a learn to swim teacher. So that's how you probably got into the water. Yeah. But was it in Queensland? Because we think of you as being the quintessential Queenslander, but yeah. you weren't born in Queensland, were you? No, I was born in South Australia. Wow. Um, but I moved up to, we moved up to Queensland in. Can hear the gasp from all Queenslanders so, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adelaide love me. Um, <laughs> they like to claim me, but I don't really remember too much of it. But obviously my dad's side of the family is all still down there. So mm -hmm. there's still a part of me in South Australia, but I've been in Queensland since I was two in Brisbane. So I don't really know anything else. And your dad, he was a footballer as well? Yeah, apparently a, a big legend of football in wow. South Australia, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember anything. He retired, um, I think, 94. I want to say 94 he retired, but mm -hmm. yeah, he played over 300 games for Glenelg Footy Club and they won a fair few premierships in that time. And yeah, apparently he was epic. I actually had a chat 
um, with Fitzy and he was like to me, oh, your dad is such a legend. Like I got his autograph <laughs> at some premiership final that he played in and I was just like, oh, you must have been the only one. And he was like, no. Wow. He had so many fans and I just, yeah, it blows my mind. It just feels like that your dad lived this different life that you know down yeah, there. Yeah, because all I know of my dad is sitting on, on Saturdays in front of the TV with a beer watching the races. So <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't quite look like that footy player. Wow, that's cool. So Queensland, <laughs> you are the Queenslander from two years old. Um, you talked about when you started swimming, but I want to know when did that switch happened? When did you go from hating swimming and hating squad to going, oh, okay, I like this now or I can do this. I'm good at this. <laughs> I made my first uh, Australian age team at 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I won, uh, I think I won the 100 backstroke at Australian age championships. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in Brisbane and then got picked off a team from that. And I think from then on, I was basically really, I was always really competitive, always wanted mm-hmm. to win um, <laughs> and hated losing. Honestly, I hate it so much with a passion. And I think, you know, it started turning about that age because I didn't want to lose. Like I always wanted to win and I was Mm -hmm. like, how do I get better? How do I make sure that I can always win, that I'm always putting myself in the best position? And, you know, I made my first open team at 14 and Mm. yeah, basically from then on, it was just like, you know, got to do the training to get the result. That's the only way you can do it. First open team at 14 and was that to get the world champs? Yeah, World Champs 07. Yeah, the only reason I went to the trials, they were in December of 06 because Worlds that year was in March, I think, Mm. in Melbourne of 07. So the only reason I went was because the trials were in Brisbane and I'd qualified and my coach was just like, oh, let's just go and see how you do. And you made it. And then, you know, made it from heat to semi and I was like, oh, you know, this is really exciting. And then made it semi to final in lane four, I think. And I was like... To my coach, I remember saying, oh, do you think I can win? Like, do you think I can (laughs) get on this team? He was like, I don't know. Just, you know, do your best. And I dead heated for first and made a team. And I was just like, oh, my God, my life has just been nonstop since. What are your memories of the kinds of people who were on that team with you? For the world oh, I mean, it was epic. Um, like I did that re- the medley relay with Liesl Jones, Libby Trickett, <laughs> and Jess Shipper. I mean, could it get any cooler <laughs> than that? Like we we won in front of a home crowd, broke the world record, and there's me in like little training togs because that's all I wore at fourteen. <laughs> I didn't wear suits. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Fourteen to be able to do that. Yeah. Did you, I mean, I uh, know my maturity at 14 wasn't very high. <laughs> what was MC WOM like? You kind of thrust into this arena where you're expected to be mature and um, and an athlete, but you're still somewhat just, you're young adolescent. You're still a kid, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it was weird because like, obviously the team was a lot older than me. So mm. I kind of felt like a bit of a... Uh, I guess like the youngest kid in the family where it's like, oh, you can't do this because you're too young. Like mm. it, it, it felt a bit like that to me. I was so nervous and like all these people like I'd watched on TV for years and, you know, <laughs> then I'm with them and I'm like, oh, what do I even talk about? Like I'm, I'm just at school. Like yeah. they're not going to want to <laughs> listen to my homework. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or talk about boys or something like that. Yeah. Wow. So um, from then... 14, you were 16 
when you qualify for your first Olympics, was it still a little bit like what you were describing of being like the kid in the family? Yeah, I mean, I I was the young I was actually the youngest out of all the Olympians on the Australian team. Like I was the youngest. But I think there were like three of us that were 16. So I think it was me, Kate was 16 and Melissa Wu was 16. Yeah. Right. So yep. there was there was a few of us on the team that were a bit younger. Um, so me and Kate got on really well because we, obviously we had to room together because we were underage. So we <laughs> couldn't do all the other stuff yep. that people do at the Olympics, you know, go out after the swimming's done and party. And What did you and what, Kate do then? We just went to other sports. It was awesome. Like we went to, <laughs> cool. oh, we went to the basketball. We went to the athletics. We were just at like every sport, just <laughs> soaking it up because you don't realize when you leave that that experience won't happen again, that mm. you might not get that again. Mm. I mean, I've been lucky enough that I've been to three Olympics, mm. but you know, that first time you don't know if you're going to make it back. Yeah, you yeah. have no idea. So it's just like, oh yeah, I was just soaking it up. And I think every Olympics I've you know, tried to have a different experience each time and really experience all the elements of the Olympics because there's just so much going on. What struck you the most when you, um, at that first Olympics at the Beijing Games as a 16-year-old? Oh, I mean, everything. It, there was everything going on. Like there was a Macca's in the dining hall, like, and it was free. <laughs> like I just couldn't get over that. I was just like, you can just line up and get whatever you want. And like no one asked for money. And I was just like, this is mind-blowing. Like I can get two Happy Meals for free. Oh, um, I, I remember actually because my uh, my whole family came over except for my youngest brother because he was quite young and mum was a mm. bit scared of him being in China that he would get a bit lost. Mm. Um, but uh, the second week I actually got a bike because the village was massive. Like it was huge and you were just constantly walking. And I remember I just, I got this bike and I actually just would be like to mum and dad, what do you guys want from Maccas? Because I can get it for free. I'd get all their Maccas, <laughs> put it on my bike and ride it out to them. So that's the 16-year-old in you, hey? Yeah, something that was, like that could that absolutely... That was me. With everything that the Olympics shows you, you as a 16-year-old were so focused on the Maccas at the oh, Olympic was, Village. <laughs> I was just addicted. I was just like mind blown. And then like, you know, you got that and then you've got all these athletes that you've just seen on TV and you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, like you got the bar men's basketball team and you're just like in awe because you're just like, oh my God, these guys are so tall. Like they're taller mm. than you think. And there's, you know, like you see people like um, the tennis players and just yeah. everyone and you're just like... I don't know. For me, I was just texting my friends being like, oh, you wouldn't believe who I saw today in the <laughs> dining hall, like in the dining hall. Oh, like it. it's like your bedroom. Was it hard to focus on schoolwork after having that experience? Yeah. I mean, with the Olympics, I think I was with, with camps and comps that we went to, I was away for three months in mm. total. And I missed so much school, like, mm. and it was super hard for me. Like, I was already in learning support before I went mm. um, just to help me catch up on work that I was missing. Mm. Um, and in the end, uh, my mum sat down with the principal and was the principal actually had a daughter that was, I think she was on the Australian netball team. And she said to mum, she said, you know, your daughter's got this amazing talent and you know, 
this is the prime of her life to do what she does. She mm. won't be able to come back to it later on. Mm. And she said to my mum, school can always, you can always come back and finish off your school. Mm. She said, you know, maybe it's more important that she focuses on that mm. and doesn't worry about the school and comes back to that if she needs it. So I actually left school after that year. Mm. Um just because I couldn't, I couldn't keep up and there was no way I could travel the world and do swimming and do school and do a good job of it. Mm. And I'm not one of those people that just, you know, wants to be there to make up numbers. Mm. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it right. Mm. And yeah, I, I mean, it was the best decision my parents ever made for me. And I mean, I... A tough not, one, I'd imagine as well. It's super tough. Yeah. You know, my dad was very against it, you know, he had always said to me, like, you're going to have to do school. School comes first. And mm. my career just, like, it took over. Like, mm. we didn't know at 14 that I was going to make a team. We didn't know at 16 I was going to make the Olympics. And, mm. you know, I haven't stopped since. I want to go back to the Beijing Olympics and um, and we'll get to your relay, but I want to talk about the individual performance because um, you were so young Um but you you almost, in the lead-up to the Olympics, you almost broke the world record for the 50-metre back in the lead-up, which had everyone talking. And there's a lot of focus on what this 16-year-old could do. You finished ninth um, in your race and, you know, you broke down in, in tears. You cried afterwards. Why why was that? Um, I think at 16 I didn't really understand, I guess, the amazingness of what, that was, what mm. that meant. You know, I just, you know, really wanted to do something for, you know, Australia, for my parents, you know, my mm. parents and my brothers had flown over from Australia to watch me swim. And yeah, it was, it was disappointing to finish that. But I feel like um, if I had done better, I might not have been as a good a good of a person as I am, I think mm. everything that sets you back makes you a better person to where you come to. Mm. And that's something that I've learned over the years because you're not always going to win. Mm. You, you can't control what everyone else does. And as much as I want to say every time I'm going to win, I don't know. Mm. I absolutely don't know. No one knows. Mm. And I mean, we you can see over the years, you can see the people that you think are going to win never actually win. Mm. I mean, take the horse racing, for example. The favourite hardly ever wins. Mm. It's crazy to have so much pressure on you, mm. um, and especially at a young age. Like, you don't realise how much that weighs on you. And how much you think about that until you go out there and you're like, oh, everyone expects me to win. Mm. And, and it's just hard like, for a 16-year-old adolescent brain to be able to kind of compact that or kind of um, negotiate all that that pressure and deal with all that that pressure and expectation. Yeah. And I was, I think I was having a really hard time with um, my periods too at that mm. age because... I seem to get my periods every time I race because it would stress me out oh, so gosh. much. Yeah. So it was crazy. Um, so I was having my period. I'm dealing with, you know, being in this village mm. with all these people. Like I th I think the first time I travelled overseas was with the team. I didn't, you know, I hadn't travelled overseas before mm. ever. I spent most of my first flight throwing up in the toilet because I was motion sickness. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize until I flew for the yeah. first time. So, yeah, yeah it 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 was 
it was hard. Like it is hard growing up in front of the world mm. and everyone looks at you, but they only see two minutes mm. of your entire life and there's just so much going on behind the scenes that mm. people just don't even understand. It feels like every Olympics there was so much going on in the lead up and um, and behind the scenes and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but... Um, you describe that that performance and finishing ninth in the world when you're um, 16. Incredible performance. But then you won the gold medal in the relay. And did that, yeah. eh, like, did you understand? How did you feel as a 16-year-old when that happened? No, I didn't understand what I'd, what I'd done at all. I think my time that I swam in that relay would have got me third um, in the mm. world um, at that Olympics. Mm. I would have got the bronze medal. So for me, I was just, like I was so stoked. I was just like, couldn't believe it. And, you know, you get up on the podium, I'm thinking to myself, do I even know the words of the national anthem? I was like, <laughs> I was like I've got to sing it next to these girls. Like I was just like, and, and being with those girls, I just didn't want to let anyone down. I was yeah. like, all right, I've got, I've got to do a good job here because mm. I've got these three legends coming behind me mm. and I can't let the team down. So... Yeah, I mean, we had fun. They really, they really made me feel part of a team, mm. something really special. And it's probably the best medley relay team I've ever been a part of is with those three girls. Like, there's just there was nothing better than being with them. Well, fast forward now. Um, after these Olympics, you're a full time athlete. No more school. <laughs> yeah. Full time athlete, MC bomb. But um, in 2011, so the year before the London Olympics you contracted swine flu. Um, how bad did that get and how then did it affect your preparation? Yeah, uh, we went to a Sydney meet um, and came home and basically was sick uh, that night after getting home. Mm. High fever, sweats, was really, really ill, went to the doctor, got the test done. Yep, swine flu. I had the flu vax that year, so... Mm. I didn't even know that you could get it after having the flu vaccine. And they put me straight into hospital. Um, I was in hospital for a week and it was, it was honestly, it was really painful being in there because mm. I was in this isolated room where, um, you know, if you buzz for help, um, you know, they have to get these, sh put things on their shoes. They've got to put a gown on, they've got to put gloves mm. on, they've got to put a mask on and then they've put a face thing over the top. So, you know, to get anyone to come to your room in a hurry, it was it mm. was actually quite a mission. So, I mean, I was really sick from that. And then I remember getting out and then trying to start training again. And it was just, it was, it was really hard work. I mean, I, I remember one day, especially I had like a push 50 backstroke and it was short course. Mm. And I mean, my best time, at that stage was probably like 27 seconds. Mm. And I, I honestly, I went m as hard as I could and no joke, my coach said to me 40 seconds. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not going to make the team this year. Mm. I said to myself, I'm not going to make it. I'm going 40 seconds short course. I'm not going to make it. Mm. And yeah, I, I kept training and honestly, I didn't really have that much confidence in my training, but I ended up getting to the trials and I 
I swam the 100 backstroke, finished second, which still mm. qualified me for the team. Mm. And I was just, I just was so tired, so fatigued. I think I passed out after that race um, in the marshalling room. And yeah, it was just, yeah, crazy. London Olympics were also, I guess we could call them the social media Olympics. The first oh, yeah. time that yeah. like social media had been a part of um, a part of the Olympics because social media kind of exploded out at that at that stage. Um, you were a twenty year old when you went mm-hmm. to the London Olympics and active on social media. What did social media provide you as a twenty year old at that time as a twenty year old athlete? I guess uh, I guess for me it was like a connection with people. Mm. I think, you know, with your swimming, you're so, uh, it's just like, it's you, it's you, you know, you got your squad, but then I didn't really have any other friends outside of swimming. I Mm. didn't really, you know, I didn't go out on the weekends. I didn't hang out with other people. It was, you know, swimming people was the only people that I hung out with. Mm. So it gave me, I felt like it just gave me a lot of friends. I felt Mm. like I had a lot of friends and I didn't realize that, you know, these people that, that build you up and, and say, oh, you're so amazing, like you're a mm. great swimmer, can also be the people that say, oh, you're a horrible person, mm. you're so mean, you're so nasty and not even have met you in person. To me, that was just mind-blowing. And, yeah, I was super active because I was, I feel like I was screaming out for friends, like mm. I just wanted more friends. Mm. And I thought, you know, having all these accounts and being super active and people commenting and sending you messages, I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got so many people that I talk to. It mm. felt really nice. Yeah. And, you know, after leaving school at, at I think I was grade 10. Mm. So, you know, I had had lost all contact with a lot of the girls that I went to school with. So mm. the only people that I was hanging out with was my squad. And when I went away on teams, especially some of those younger teams, I was the youngest there. So Mm. I didn't really have anyone else to connect with apart from people who could connect through social media. Mm. Let's go then to your first, um, your pet event, the 100 metre back. You broke the Olympic record in the qualifiers heading into that. So you would have been feeling, feeling pretty good. Take me to what, how you felt when you touched the wall in that final. Yeah, I mean, going, uh, if I go back to that Olympic record in that heat, I'd never felt better in my life. I'd never felt so good in a swim ever. And it was so easy. And I wish, I do wish that I went a little bit harder Mm. and, you know, push myself to see how fast I could have gone because I think I could have gone a lot faster than what I did. And I just remember every swim after that, it got harder and harder because I was really forcing it. Mm. I was like, if I really push myself, what can I do? Mm. And I ended up just going slower and slower. And then I think, you know, when I broke that record, everyone was like, oh, that's it. You know, we've got our Olympic gold medalist right here. Mm. And I hadn't done it, but I felt like I should have. Mm. And I got to that final and when I finished second, I was like, oh, God, what have I done? Mm. You know, I was, I just remember just being so disappointed in myself mm. and it, it it kills me now and honestly I wouldn't change it I would have done the exact same thing I would have I would have cried because that's that was 
that was just me. That was mm. the only way I could express how I was feeling. Like I was disappointed. And I get people like, oh my God, it's a silver medal. Like be happy. Like mm. it's so disappointing that you're not happy with it. And it wasn't that I wasn't happy with it. Mm. It was just that everyone had hyped it up to be this amazing moment mm. of me getting an Olympic gold medal. And I believed it. Mm. I honestly, I went into that final. I was like, I'm going to win the gold medal. And when I didn't, I was shocked and I was disappointed. And I'm, and it kills me that I'm disappointed because second in the world is just amazing. Like By three one hundredths of a second. I know. Like so it's close. Just like I pinch myself now because now, you know, in Rio, I really struggled and I actually didn't get upset in Rio. And it surprises me because obviously everything that I've gone through in my entire life, I was just like, well, this is as good as I can do. And if that's not good enough for everyone, tough, tough luck. Yeah, I can't yeah. do better. Yeah. And I think, you know, I really, I really thought I'd let everyone down when I, when I got the silver, mm. I thought, oh, everyone's just going to hate me because I'm just like, because I didn't mm. win. I didn't win for Australia. I didn't win for my parents. And my parents flew all the way to London to see me. They've mm. spent all this money. And that's all you think about, like all the, all the time and the effort mm. that you put in. And you feel disappointed that you got silver. And then I think to myself now, like, oh my God, like silver, what an amazing achievement. Yeah, good on you. Have you gone back and seen, watched the race again since? I haven't seen it. Never seen it? No. Have you ever looked back on that post-match interview where you broke down in tears? Have you ever no. watched that again? No, I've seen photos and it, and I just, yeah, I, I'm just, I guess, yeah, I'm disappointed that I let other people's opinions affect my own opinion. Mm. How long did it take for you to get to that realisation that you should have been, that you wished that you'd been happier with Silver, how long did you hold on to that disappointment? Oh, it was probably like a year. I feel like that next year in 2013, I ended up finishing second again in the 100 back. And I I think that was the first time that I kind of sat back and I was like second in the world, you know, mm -hmm. second in the entire world. And I was just like, you know, this this moment might not come again. Mm. Like I've been lucky enough that I've done it a few times and then, you know, my world changed when, you know, I won gold mm. because I was just like, oh, my God, like I've done it. I'm world mm. number one. Like this is it. This, mm. is the, this is the top. And I think I also at that young age you think, you know, getting an Olympic gold medal is going to change your life. Mm. You know, you're going to have... You're going to be famous. People are going to love you. Mm. Um, yeah, you just think you're going to be, it's, it's going to change your life and I've realised it's not going to. Mm. And i got to stop thinking that, you mm. know, a gold medal is going to change my life because it's not. It's not going to make me a better person. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make me prettier. It's not going to make me skinnier. Mm. It's not going to make people love me more. Mm. It's not going to change that. And it and I think that's taken me a really long time to realise that it's not going to change my life. And I finally come to the realisation that it won't and mm. I don't care. Mm. I don't need it to change my life. Yeah, love that. After the race, you blamed social media and broke down in tears and blaming social media for that. Why was that? And how soon did you get back on your phone 
after that race. Were you straight back onto it? I think, honestly, I think the comments were taken out of context. Mm -hmm. I don't think I said it like social media. Um, Like I didn't blame my performance on social media. All All I said about that was that so many people were telling me I was going to win gold. I thought I'd already done it. Mm. And when I didn't, that's where the disappointment came in. It wasn't the fact that I blamed it for what I did mm. because I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. Let, let's just, I'll put that on the table because I didn't do anything wrong. No. I swam the race that I could do and second was the best job that I could and I couldn't have done any more. And I'm sorry that, but that wasn't good enough for everyone. And Mm. they needed a reason to why I got second. And I think a lot of people just like held on to that one thing that I said Mm. and really ran with it. And like, I'm a very open person Mm. and I feel like I've been that my entire life. And yeah, I used social media as a young kid to make friends with other people, to have lots of friends because I thought that was going to make me really happy Mm. in life was having a lot of people talk about me, a lot of people talk to me. So, yeah, like I think I went on social media like I was on it constantly Mm. at a young age and I still am now um, but use it very differently. Mm. Um, Use it to kind of explain my life um, and what I go through and try and to get people to understand that, yeah, you see, you know, a 60-second race and then you see a quick interview that they take bits and pieces from, but that's not how I got to that stage. Mm. There's a lot that that I've got to navigate through life. Like my life isn't easy as much as people seem to think, oh, mm. traveling the world is such an amazing job. My life is quite hard and quite stressful and, mm. you know, I have been through a lot in my life and mm. I I want to share that with people so they don't just see one side of it and mm. go, oh, God, it must be so easy just traveling the world and being able to see all these amazing mm. things. I mean, yeah, I travel the world and I get one day at the end of the trip to, <laughs> to go see something and, mm. and that's what I like to do because I don't, I want to see something other than a pool, a bus, and a hotel. Mm. I want to. I want to be like, oh, I've been to Tokyo, and say, you know, mm. here's a picture, and this yeah. is all I could get because that was my one day. You walked away from those Olympics with another gold medal in the in the relay. Um, did you appreciate it, given how I guess traumatized you were over your individual performance? Did you appreciate it at the time, or did that come later that you won another gold medal? I think it, yeah, I think I was only a heat swimmer of that one. So I didn't swim in the final of the four by one free, which they won, but we ended up winning silver in the the medley relay as well. So I ended mm. up coming home with three medals and that was, <laughs> you know, I guess if you go back to my first Olympics, I only won one medal and I missed the final. I've then stepped up and came second in that event that I missed the final in and got in two more medals. So it's like, you know, when I actually came home and did the welcome home ceremonies and you wear your medals yeah. around to all the states, I was actually like, this is really cool. Like, yeah. you know, you look around, not many people have multiple medals. Yeah. No, and you're, or even um, one. <laughs> like I was, I was <laughs> or wearing even there. three. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You had really big years after that um, in in 2014 for the Glasgow um 
Commonwealth Games. Uh, you backed up that gold in the in the Delhi Com Games um, for that 100 meters back. 2015 was a massive year for you, world title double in the 100 meter back and the 200 meter back, and it was looking really good heading into Rio. Um, things did change after 2015 world champs. I want to talk to you about your endometriosis battle. You alluded it to earlier about having those periods always on mm. um, when you were racing. But um, when did you notice that? When did you find out that you had endometriosis and how bad did it have to get before you realised that you had endo? Um, yeah, it it started getting really bad and I think it was kind of towards the end of 2015. I almost got a period every two weeks and um, wow. it wasn't until I started actually tracking my cycle that I was like, oh, because I'd be like, oh, I swear I just got my period the other week. Mm. And I was like, oh, I need to track this to see. And yeah, I was getting um, a period every 21 days or something and only having like some days I would only have like nine days off and then it would start again. And mm. I'd be like, this is, surely this isn't right. Mm. And I would go to training and I'd have incredible back pain. And it was so bad that days I was doing gym, I actually thought like my back was going to mm. snap. That's how much my back would hurt. Like I would squat, do squats. And I thought my back would snap. Wow. And yeah. I was just like, oh, there's, there's something like not right. Mm. And obviously like you're training for the Olympics and you want to make the team. And we had our trials in like April, I think. And I kept training, kept training and just kind of kept putting it off because I was just like, oh, just don't worry about it. Just like, you know, maybe it will sort itself out. Mm. And I think it wasn't until June when I was, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Mm. I was just over getting my period. I was just frustrated. I was always angry. I was always, you know, craving food that I, mm. that I couldn't really eat. It was just a really annoying time in my life. And I ended up going to a gynecologist and she mentioned endo, but she said she couldn't really, they can't really, um, say it's endo with certainty until they go in and kind of, look around and see what's mm. there. You know, she could she could tell by an internal ultrasound that there was a lot of buildup on mm. my ovaries and a lot of discomfort for me um, just with her pressing around mm. inside. And it was just, yeah, it was really hard. And I just remember, she, I remember her saying, oh, well, when can you, when could you fit in the surgery? Mm. And I was like, this was June or, mm. or May. And I was like, December. Christmas. Mm. That's my only time off. Yeah. Like I, I've made this Olympic team and I've got to go. Mm. I can't I can't possibly miss it. I mean, yeah, I really, really struggled with it because it was just constantly in my head and you know, she'd you know, she gave me a brochure and then you go online and online you're just like, Oh my god, yeah. this is a black hole. Like <laughs> yeah. you're never getting pregnant, you're never doing this, you're never mm. doing that. And I was just like, Oh my God, what have I done to myself? Never was, Google never Google yeah. medical things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a black hole. It's not worth it. I'd imagine with swimming and having your periods and having them so heavy and so often, like I mean that's hard for the average person, but when you're a swimmer and you're constantly in the pool training yeah. like that's that's hell like thinking oh my like let's talk frankly because there's no stigma we shouldn't have stigma around periods but I mean I'd be terrified all the time that you're going to oh. you know leak out and 
That would have been frightening. Not even that, just like even if you've got a string hanging out, like, oh, you're just so uncomfortable all the time. I just never felt comfortable. Mm. And like I would change my tampon so often because I was just so scared. Mm. I was just like, oh, I can't Mm. leave it in for long. Like I would, you know, know, uh, do my warm-up. And that was 30 minutes of saying, change my tampon, get in my racing suit, do my race, change my tampon again. Just, Mm. and I was just like constantly in fear of anyone seeing anything. And then, you know, on the odd occasion you'd forget and, and then you'd have this towel with stains on it and you'd be trying to hide it and Mm. you're just like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. That's a lot to deal with, not just focusing on your physical, but geez, that's incredible. Like in terms of your physical training and, and getting better at swimming, but you just had a whole other set of anxieties and oh, concerns yeah. to be worried about. Yeah. Um, you, that was all before you were in in Rio. Um, you never alluded to that. You never told the media what was happening at, this, at that stage. Um, after the Olympics, you never told the media. It took a while before you said, well, this is what was happening before Rio. Why was that? Yeah. Um, I guess I feel like sometimes uh, everyone's trying to look for an excuse as to why you're not good enough. Mm. And I didn't, there was like, I was good enough. I didn't need an excuse Mm. for my performance. Um, Yes, it wasn't great, but that was the best that I could do. And I didn't need to find an excuse. I remember the coach that I was with at that time actually said to me, you need to think of something to tell the media as to why you're not swimming good. And I said, I've got nothing. Yeah. This is this this was all I can do. And if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. And I think that's just the attitude I had after London. Mm. And, you know, if I hadn't have had that experience in London, that I could have made every excuse in the book for myself from then on. Did your coach know that you had endo and were going through all of that when he said that? Uh, he, he didn't know a lot. Mm. Um, it wasn't till I think I posted that he said, oh, like he was kind of almost relieved because he felt like it was, um, like his coaching had, had, Mm. you know, was the reason why I didn't swim good. So he felt Mm. like he had something to blame it on. Mm. And I just, uh, yeah, I'm not one of those people that, that needs to blame a performance on anything because, there's nothing wrong with having an off day. We mm. all have them. Unfortunately, yeah. mine came at the worst time, but you know what? Life happens. Mm. I want to talk about um, another big issue that you've just been public about, and that was about your eating disorder. I think it's incredibly brave um, and shows the strength of character that you have, Em, that you've been able to talk about this so publicly. And I think by you doing that, it's going to help a lot of people. Um, can you take me back? How did it start or when did it start, your troubles, your eating disorder? Yeah. um, So uh, 2018, obviously, went through a really hard breakup Mm -hmm. um, with a a teammate. um, Mm -hmm. And that I really, honestly, it really just, it blew my world apart. Mm. Um, I was left shattered and honestly, couldn't even, some days I couldn't even go to training. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I ate much for, for a little while. Um, Mm. just was just really, really, really sad. Mm. Um, and lost a fair bit of weight because of that. 
And uh, it took me a while to actually kind of start building up the courage to go back to training, to go back on at swimming meets and do Mm. all that again. Um, And obviously I'd lost a stack of weight. So everyone would be like to me, oh, you look amazing. What are you doing? Like Mm. you look fantastic. They would just tell me how good I looked all the time. And I just, I remember I would go home to my mum and almost cry and be like, can't everyone see I'm really sad and that I don't Mm. look happy? Mm. Like, but everyone's saying how good I look. And Mm. I just, I was just the saddest person Mm. around at that stage. And I ended up, you know, we had Com Games that year. But if you won a gold medal at Com Games, you got pre-selected for the Pampac team, which was later in the year. So lucky enough, I had pre-selection, so I'd already made it. But we did have another trials that were in Adelaide and I went down and it must have been, it wasn't long after everything had happened. And I I just, yeah, I remember being so sad that I actually didn't, I couldn't even swim at that meet. I think I swam a heat and I said to my mum, I don't want to go back there. Please don't make me go back. Mm. I just can't do it. And we ended up taking, uh, I was supposed to swim that night. I took that session off. I didn't, I didn't come into the pool. Um, I actually went ice skating with my mum and my br- brother and <laughs> honestly had the best time Yeah, cool. and probably f- was happy for the first time in a while. Mm. Um, the next day we flew home um, and, you know, I started, you know, building up and getting better and uh, I think December we had World Short Course in China mm-hmm. um, and by that stage I'd almost returned to my normal weight was really happy, was loving my swimming again. And then uh, that year we had a break over Christmas. We had Mm. about two weeks or three weeks off. And I remember as soon as I got back to training, my coach was, we got weighed um, and he just, I was, I was, uh, I was just maybe half a kilo up from my normal race weight that I'd always had. Mm. Um, And he was just like, oh, why'd you put on weight? Mm. I was, I was like, well, it was Christmas. We had, we had a break. I wasn't, mm. wasn't doing anything. And he, he was just like, okay, well, we need to drop that down. Like you need to go back to where you were. Mm. And, um, yeah, it honestly for, I don't even know how long I did fight it. I was just like, nah, screw that. I don't need to be mm. that. Like I've always been this weight and I, I've won two world championships at mm. this weight. Like why, why? why is it all of a sudden that I need to lose weight to swim faster? Mm. And that's always what he said. Like we couldn't do anything different. I couldn't train better. I couldn't do anything different in the pool, out of the pool. I just needed to lose weight. That was the only way I could swim faster than what I'd swum before. And, you know, it was always like, don't you want that? Isn't that what you want? Mm. Yeah. He used to sit me down and say, you need to cut this out of your diet. And I remember at the start saying, oh, if I had that to lose out of my diet, I would. Mm. And yeah, it just got to a stage where I didn't even realize that I was doing things that I shouldn't do. Mm. Um, you know, over exercising to the extreme because I just felt like I didn't deserve to rest. Mm. I wasn't good enough to have a rest. I needed to keep going. Um, you know, one day I did gym in the morning at training, trained, swim trained. Um, this is off not eating anything. Um, then I came home, did another gym. Um, then you know, went to training in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and then straight after training went straight and did um, netball. Mm. 
and then would go to bed with a glass of milk. So all that day all you had was milk? Yeah. Out of all those sessions? Yeah. Or I just thought I'd, you know, I had it in this in my head that I didn't deserve food, that I wasn't good enough to have food, mm. uh, that I wasn't good enough to lie down, to have a rest. Mm. Uh, I mean, I hated the thought of sitting down. So I thought I was just being too lazy sitting down. Mm. Um, you know, I'd go as long as I could without eating. Mm. And then obviously I'd be, you know, so hungry. It was just a really hard time because I feel like I really isolated myself from people. Mm. You know, I didn't want to go out for dinner if or for lunch. You know, if my friends wanted to say, you know, go get something to eat, I'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to eat at home. Because mm. um, A, I probably wasn't eating or B, if I was, I wasn't doing something good after I mm. eated, I was eating. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd go as long as I could and then obviously rummage through um, my pantry looking for the easiest thing that I could, mm. um, that I didn't have to wait to eat, that I could eat straight away. Yeah, and yeah. then it was instantly like guilty, like, oh, why'd you do that? So stupid that you did that. Like mm. imagine the weight you've just put on and I'd weigh myself you know, before a meal, after a meal. I mm. was weighing myself, I reckon, maybe six or seven times a day. Wow. I would weigh myself after I went to the toilet just to see if I'd made a change. And, there were, you know, seeing numbers on the scale would would define my day, mm. would be the difference between me having a good day and me having a shit day. Mm. And was that validation that you got from losing oh, weight? Yeah, it was just like... It was, was it triggered from the coach or did you... Were you performance or was that what your coach said? Like, were you, it, were you doing was, this for performance or were you, was it triggered by what your coach said and then it just took a took a mind of its own? It was definitely triggered um, by what people were saying to me. Mm. Um, and that really, that really drived a lot of it because I, I, I needed, I almost needed to hear people say, you look good. Mm. I needed, I needed that in my life. And if mm. I didn't get that, then that wouldn't be a good day. Just like seeing a different number on the scales would make it a bad day. Like, um, you know, as as well as being weighed at the pool um, almost every afternoon, mm. um, skin folds every two weeks and a Dexter every three months. Um, and I ended up just not even being able to lose weight, just putting on fat because I wasn't feeding my muscle. It was just turning into fat. Mm. And I would just, I, I would cry and I was just like crying to the the guy that would take our skin folds being like, I, I can't do any more. Like I'm, I can't, there's something mm. else I can do. Um, I just, I, I remember feeling uncomfortable in my togs. Mm. Like I felt embarrassed and ashamed to be in my togs. Mm. I just felt nervous. It gave me a lot of anxiety to be in my togs. Mm. I lost my period for about a year and a half mm. and I didn't realise that was so dangerous. Mm. Um, it wasn't until I saw a dietitian, and that's because honestly I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't go through my days anymore thinking about it, worrying about it. So I, I rang this dietitian. and I, I was almost in tears when I spoke to her because I was like, I can't, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm at my... I'm at my wits end. I've got, I've got nothing. I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't. I, yeah. So that was a breaking point. Was there another breaking point or was it just the combination of, of everything we thought? It was honestly just everything. And then, um, you know, I saw her, 
it must have been like May. It was not long before our trials mm. that year. And, um, yeah, I saw her and she she really just kind of changed my life. She mm. made me um, start a food diary and I really had to write, like I had, then it was the first time I had to write down when I was being sick in a day. Mm. And actually it was hard to do. I, I almost, I really wanted to be sick to make myself skinnier, but I didn't want to write it down because then she would see it. So she had to make me really accountable for what I was doing. Mm. And I had to be really honest with her. She like, you know, as as hard as it was to write down that I was making myself sick on certain days, it made me do it less mm. because someone else was seeing it and it mm. wasn't just a secret that I was doing by myself. Like someone else saw it. Mm. So 2018, when did you, was when it started, when did you seek help? Uh, it would have been uh, May of 2019. Yep. Um, I told my mum for the first time during trials mm-hmm. um, when I wasn't swimming very good. Mm. Um, and that was really hard for me because mm. my mum is is this beautiful, warm, lovely person and she's just so loving and, ev- you know, if, if you feel something, she feels it 10 mm. times worse. So I knew if I told her that she would have felt like it was her that had done something mm. and I really, I don't like to hurt other people. Yeah. And I knew that would hurt her. Yeah. And so that was really a really hard discussion for me to have mm. uh, with her. And when I, when I had that, you know, she, she was almost over every single day dropping off food. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now it's something you have to manage. How do you manage that with your with your swimming? Have things changed with the approach of of uh, coaches towards you now as a result of talking about your eating disorder? Do you still get weight? Is it still a pressure to lose weight? Yeah, um, I actually changed programs okay. uh, after that because I just realized that I was in an environment that wasn't healthy for me anymore mm. and I, I I couldn't be there. I couldn't I couldn't live with myself if I stayed there any longer. I think, you know, it would you know, same thing as my dietitian. If I didn't get out of that situation, that eating disorder would have just taken over my entire life. Mm. And I'm so glad that I did. Um I now train on the Gold Coast and mm-hmm. split my time between Gold Coast and Brisbane because obviously I still live here in Brisbane. Mm. Um so yeah, no, I've I've really changed up my life, and oh, I've I can't I can't get rid of my scales. I actually I just can't do it. I'm not ready to give it up yet. And yeah. my dietitian tells me all the time, like you know, mm. one day she's just going to come over and take them. But mm. it's just it's just something that I I've got to do, and then I can move on with my day. It's not great, but you know, one day I hope to be able to get back to where I was. Um, and I know that I will because mm. I've got so much support around me. Mm. What effect does it have on your training now as you push for yet another Olympics? Uh, honestly, it probably doesn't have much of an effect only because I'm I'm really focusing on training well mm. and racing well. And to do that, I have to be eating well. And mm. that's something that my dietitian has really drilled into me. So mm. I think... You know, when I'm in full training, 
it's not it's not really much of an issue because I've got I you know I've got to eat these things to train well like I need to fuel my body to do what I do mm. but probably when I'm not training it probably creeps in a little bit more because I'm like oh well you're not doing that do you really need to eat that mm. you know it it's probably more of a battle then and it's something that I'm aware of that it will be an issue when I probably stop swimming. Mm. Um, and that's why I see my dietitian mm. to, you know, to keep on top of that because my body is probably never going to look this good again. Um, and that's okay. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I'm not beautiful mm. just because my body doesn't look the same as what it did when it was an elite athlete. Mm. Um and that's something that, yeah, I've got to learn to love, that it will change and I've got to work with that and really understand that there's nothing wrong with that um, mm. and it doesn't change me as a person. I'm still a beautiful person. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm aware of and I, I, I know it can be an issue. So, yeah, it's something that we're working towards mm. getting to. But obviously right now the focus is, on eating enough for that swimming, for the training. And has your old coach reached out after you talked about your eating disorder? Did he reach out at all? Um, he, I told, before I made it public, um, I was really private about it mm. um, and left left the squad and, and told a few people, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm. Um like, please feel free to reach out to me if you're struggling too. Um, and someone actually sent that to him, um, which I was really upset about because mm. it was something very private to me. Mm. Um, and then I believe he um, sent it on to other people mm. and I felt like my trust had really been broken. Mm. Um, and, you know, seeing that person and... Um, around, you know, mm. still uh, makes me very anxious, honestly. Mm. Um, makes me very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I almost don't want to stand in my togs. And, yeah, 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 I mean, no, I haven't heard anything from him personally. Yeah. Um, but I don't need to. I don't blame him. Mm. I, I, If there's anyone to blame, it's myself that I fed into it, mm. that I believed that. Um, I don't blame my eating disorder on anyone other than myself because ultimately I did it to myself. I believed that. Mm. I, and, you know, it shocks me that you can be um, in your late 20s and still have, um, still believe what other people think of you mm. and take that as gospel. Mm. Um, so, yeah, something that I'm learning to live with is, is yeah, not, not letting what other people say determine how I spend my days. We finish off every podcast by asking our guests what advice you would give your 10-year-old self if you could go back in time and that little M who's, who's mucking about in, in swimming lessons and squad training and things that aren't quite getting serious for her <laughs> yet. Given everything you've been, from that, been through from that point, what would you tell that little M? I would honestly say don't care what anyone says about you. You don't need to be anything better than what you are because what you are is good enough. 
And I think that that gets lost sometimes with young girls because because that there is that side of social media that's, you know, you see edits of, of people that, that don't look like you and don't look like your average person and you think that just because you don't look like that, you might not be good enough. Mm. And it, it's honestly not about that. Everyone's going to look different and you don't have to look a specific way to be good enough because you were born good enough. I love it. I love it. Emily Seabom, thank you very much for sharing your story with On Her Gang. Thank you for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Darcy Thompson, executive producer, Jennifer Goggins.